Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search We Go Vox. That's We Go V-O-X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at We Go Places Podcast or on Twitter at We Go Places. Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbow, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgiev, class of 2022. Today, I catch up with class of 2008's Guillermo Blanco, a tactical strength and conditioning coach with the Army's H2F program. Guillermo will share with us his path from training elite college athletes to soldiers at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I've also linked on the episode page Guillermo's recent training article published at EliteFTS.com. Joining us from the class of 2008 is Guillermo Blanco. Guillermo, tell us what you do. I'm currently a strength and conditioning coach uh, for the U.S. Army um, through the health and fitness, or scratch that, I'm sorry. Health and Holistic Fitness Program. I'm sorry. Guillermo, when did you know that you had this type of aptitude and interest for this line of work? Was that something that happened here at WeGo? Uh, it actually didn't, um, even though, um, you know, I was always kind of into the weight room while I was in high school. Um, this really career didn't really um, kind of pique my interest or really um, come to my knowledge until uh junior year of high school or college i should say um yeah and i didn't really know a whole lot about it until uh, i had my first internship um during my undergrad and that's kind of when i discovered that and wanted to pursue this career what were some of the initial kind of uh classwork that you you took to uh to to pursue this um, so <clears throat> went to the University of Illinois uh, down in Champaign um, with a major in kinesiology. Um, so I actually went into that program wanting to go into sports medicine, um, wanted to become an orthopedic doctor after my freshman year. You know, I really decided, hey, you know, this is this is a lot of work to, you know, go that route. It just I wasn't really feeling it and decided to go the physical therapy route, which the majority of my cohort at the time, um, that's what they were going to go into. And it just kind of made sense. Um, so then really um, did all the volunteer experience needed to get into physical therapy programs. Um, there's like three different rotations that you have to do. Um, I forget how many hours, but three different settings and, to do a clinical setting in the hospital and then two outpatient uh, settings. Um, and from there, I really just wanted to work with athletes still, kind of rehab them, uh, kind of get them return to play. And it just, you know, again, I really wasn't vibing with it until 
uh, had the opportunity to intern with the football strength and conditioning coach at the time with the team. I had already um, had a job with the team as a student equipment manager. And so um, he knew who I was. And since we kind of had that connection already, he said, yeah, you know, you can come in, you know, teach you some things and you can, um, you know, do your thing. And right, right away, I was really thrown into the fire, um, so to speak, and just had a coach just on the spot. Whereas usually in most internship positions like that, especially with football, they don't give you that opportunity. Um, and so I just kind of ran with it and decided that, you know, after the first few months of doing that, that that's really something that I wanted to try and pursue. You said that you had, if, if I heard initially in there, so you, you, you were working with the trainer, like immediately you said, I think you used the term maybe trial by fire. How many games were you able to serve in that capacity? Um, so I was interning with them for a year, my junior year. Um, and again, that's, that's the route that I decided to pursue. Um, so I did that from, I think, 2010 to 11 um, and got that opportunity. What were some of the things that where you knew that you kind of had a handle? Because I remember, like, you must be seeing some some injuries that are pretty tough. And, and when did you kind of get your confidence to not kind of lose your way and, and know your way around uh, the body in such a way to kind of handle the situation, but then also in, in many ways calm the person as they're in pain? When did you get that kind of sense of confidence? Um, so, I didn't see a whole lot of the injuries on my end. That was more the athletic training staff, the sports medicine staff on my end, just working with the strength and conditioning staff. So we're really just kind of keeping him healthy or at least trying to throughout the entire season, uh, as well as kind of build them back up in the off season. And, um, so like I kind of previously mentioned, um, it was a trial by fire, you know, I was given a group of walk-ons and specialists and they were like, here, you know, here's your group, here's the workout, run them through it. And, you know, really wasn't expecting that kind of initially. Um, but once I started to get grasp of that, um, you know, it was kind of smooth sailing from there. But um, like I said, that was kind of the initial gist of, of, my career and just trajectory to where I'm at now. So what's the next step after your, your, your interning there? What, where do you go from there? So I ended up graduating the following year, um, 2012, uh, in the spring and decided I needed to go to grad school. Um, you know, just kind of based on some of the advice that I'd gotten through him and a couple other, uh, classmates that were going a similar route. You know, most strength and conditioning coaches at the time had a master's degree. Um, you know, some were fortunate enough to get a, a GA position. Um, I unfortunately did not land a GA position, but um, there was a graduate program that had uh, strength and conditioning as a focus. So I went to the University of Louisville down in Kentucky. 
and there we had the director of athletic performance on the Olympic Olympic side kind of teach us some courses, took us in the weight room, went through, you know, some of the stuff that they go through with their teams uh, and their coaches and really got to learn a lot. Um, and then obviously with grad school, there's still a, a heavy like research portion to that. Um, so really just learning how to read and understand the research that's out there on the performance side of things and, you know, how we can apply it um, in, in real life. Um, because a lot of the research that's was out there at the time and even now. So um, it's, it's great when it's like a one-on-one -on -one setting, maybe in a lab or in a weight room. Um, but a lot of that, you kind of have to pick apart and be like, okay, how can I utilize that, um, you know, to fit my needs and um, where I'm going with my teams and athletes. Um, you got a little sidetrack there, but really, uh, no, no, I love it. I love it. Let me ask a follow-up question uh, with your, what was the, what was your research for your grad school? I, I assume that you probably had like a, a deeper dive into one of the things that you were interested in. Do you remember what, uh, what that research was and how you went about collecting data and setting up the experiments and all that? Yeah. So fortunately, um, and I think I'd, made a smart decision on this end is to pick a ninth thesis route. <laughs> um, but in my statistics class, research statistics class, we essentially still had to write a paper, which it might as well have been a paper, uh, thesis research paper because it was like, I don't know, 50 pages long or something crazy like that. And I think it was something along the lines of like just physical activity and, in, in college students, um, you know, I, I can't remember exactly because that was 10, nine, 10 years ago, something like that. So it's, it's hard to recall, but it was along those lines. And, and part of, of your, your research and, and all that, did it take you, uh, like what, what is like a, a typical, uh, lab look like for you? Is it like, are you on a field? Is it like, uh, in a, in a, like how did you experiment? How did you get from that? What that typically look like? So typically, the what the labs look like, whether it be undergrad or graduate programs, um, most of them, you know, decent sized classroom. Um, they'll have like a VO2 max, like treadmill, um, a Wingate bike uh, to do VO2 max. They might have a, a power rack to do. Um, some like biomechanic analysis on movements, squat, bench, or deadlift, whatever it may be. Um, they might have like, you know, like a ISO machine for like leg extension, leg curl, that type of thing. Those are pretty general. Um, and even at one of my previous stops that I was at where we collaborated with the exercise science department, they had like a bod pod to measure body fat um, a force plate to measure uh, their outputs um, on power and a couple other things. But that's generally what, you know, an exercise science program will have in their lab. Um, it just really depends on, you know, how well outfitted they are with those types of uh, equipment.
I was thinking about as you were describing this. There's, and this is just me coming from you know the ignorance of, of this my own, but like I would imagine two variables that are trickiest, which is how to control for the diet of the subject that you're studying, and then the other thing that's really tricky, which is their actual motivation to do the task that you're asking them to do. How, how does how does that work in a, a lab setting? Um, well, really, we just kind of give them a, a general rundown on the nutrition side of things when, we, when I did work in that, um, you know, environment, just, you know, hey, with your nutrition, for example, um, you know, they, we did a pre-screening, um, and this is at Aurora University, uh, one of my previous stops, um, they would do the bipod let them know, hey, this is where we're at body composition wise. You know, if we improve our nutrition, you know, either whether it's off season or in season, you know, if we needed to get our body composition down in terms of body fat and try to increase lean muscle mass, you know, we'd kind of give them a general guideline for that. Or if they're trying to increase muscle mass, you know, give them a general guideline for that. Just because on our end, you know, that's not within our scope of practice. Um, legally per se. So it's kind of treading water, um, you know, just give them as much general information as we can. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering from your perspective, like, is there a type of athlete that has the most difficult range of um, strength and conditioning needs over other ones. I mean, I suppose all of them have their own unique challenges, but is there one that's like, wow, that's that, where do we begin, you know, with something like that, which of your, in your opinion, which, which, which type of athlete in sport carries the most unique challenges? Um, so for example, at my previous stop, um, out at McKendree university, it's a division two school near St. Louis, um, so a lot of those athletes, regardless of sport, uh, have a lower training age, just meaning, you know, they haven't really been in the weight room if they have in, at the, you know, while they were in high school, whether it's, you know, in a private facility or maybe their PE runs a program of some sort. Um, they're very limited in that capacity. So a lot of the Olympic sports that I worked with. Um, they just were brand new or newer to training. So just working with them, getting those basic foundational movements down just so that they can build their base and we're not, you know, going crazy. Like, Hey, we're starting off with power cleans or anything like that. It's like, no, let's learn the basics, master those, and then we can progress from there. So, okay, so you finished grad school. What's the first stop uh, once once you're done there? Um, so I graduated end of 2013, went back home, um, and really was more in the personal training side of things at a commercial gym uh, locally. Um, did that for a few years. Um, I did an internship during grad school. Uh, right before I graduated um, at a local facility called Acceleration Sports Performance. Um, they're out in Naperville and did that for the summer. 
and they gave me a call back the following year and say, Hey, you want to come back part-time? And that's kind of where I got my feet a little bit more, you know, well-established, um, this time being in the, in the private sector, um, and did that in combination with some more personal training and corporate wellness jobs. Um, was that 2014, end of 2014. And then did that for a couple of years and beginning of 2017 decided I wanted to go back into the collegiate setting. Um, so that's where I got connected, uh, with a colleague at Aurora university and was an assistant there for a couple of years. Um, and then went to McKendree university for three years, uh, end of 2018 up until last fall. Um, so there I was in a pretty unique situation. I was a sport coach. So I was a head powerlifting coach, um, as one of their varsity programs. And then I was also an assistant strength conditioning coach, uh, working with, uh, all pretty much a bunch of teams, um, hockey, women's lacrosse, um, football, uh, track and field, tennis, golf, um, and assisted with other teams here and there. And even the last year that I was there had experience as an adjunct instructor with some of their, um, exercise science courses that the students take in their program. Uh, so you're, I mean, you're busy all year long with all of those uh, different sports. Uh, was there one sport that didn't have uh, a, a recurring type of maybe injury over others? Um, I would say low back was kind of a pretty common one. And that's really just because um, a lot of the, like I said, the students that, student athletes that I worked with, lower training age, um, so outside of the weight room and their sport, they're constantly in the classroom um, or in their dorm room, library, what have you, you know, doing their schoolwork. So a lot of sitting usually um, kind of adds up, especially if they're on the, you know, newer side of training. You know, it's going to take a little bit of time to strengthen everything up so that sitting for long periods of time isn't going to be a huge issue on their lower back. Um, that was a pretty common one. Um, but for the most part, you know, all the injuries that I dealt with, you know, never occurred in the weight room. Um, most of them were doing their sport. And I mean, as a strength conditioning coach, we can't hundred percent prevent any injury. Um, I just, you know, those things happen and, our job is just to try and mitigate those as much as we can. Um, and then really once, once they get hurt, um, you know, in their sport, when it does happen, we work with our athletic trainers and, and team doctors be like, okay, what's the severity of the injury? You know, what are they limited to? Um, you know, especially with they're in the weight room, it's like, okay, you have a shoulder injury. How do we work around it? Um, and just constant communication between the athlete, the, the trainers, um, and the doctors just to make sure we're not, 
you know, doing anything additional to delay their, their healing process or recovery process. How did you get down to North Carolina then it's for your current job? Um, so after doing, you know, that job the last three years, I was, honestly, I was pretty burnt out. Um, you know, I don't know how many people know this or not, but working at the collegiate level is, you know, it sounds glamorous as it is. Um, you know, being around athletics constantly is, is awesome, you know, in so many ways and building those relationships with student athletes, but the hours aren't great sometimes, especially at, um, you know, the division two, division three levels, not that it doesn't occur at division one at all, but, um, you know, sometimes you're working anywhere from 10 to 14 hour days. Uh, you know, you might have a break here and there, do your own workout, you know, get some snacks some lunch, whatever, what have you. Um, but that was, that was a lot for me. Um, you know, mentally and physically. Uh, and as I learned more about the uh, opportunities here on the tactical side of things, I said, you know, hey, this is something that um, would be a cool experience to see if that's something I want to do. Um, just because at that point, I'd worked at the private sector, um, the high school level. Uh, I know I kind of skipped out on that part, but I uh, did a little bit with WeGo one summer, and then uh, Wheaton South was another uh, local school that I worked with, and then um, the collegiate level. So I was like, I've pretty much hit all areas except for uh, the professional scene, and that just wasn't my cup of tea. But, um, you know, tactical side of things really intrigued me, and it kind of went for that uh, as soon as I learned about that opportunity. And been here since end of last September, so almost a full year now, uh, and it's been a great experience so far. So I, I was thinking, like you know, you you have you have a different clientele, a different type of person that you work with, which is you know you go from uh, student athlete to now. Uh, military and soldiers. I, I was wondering, like, what's what's is there a difference to your approach and 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 how and 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 how do they respond maybe differently, if at all? Yeah, I mean, my approach is still very similar. There, there's definitely a lot of parallels um, to you know this setting and the collegiate setting um, on my end you know, just the personnel that I'm dealing with. Uh, it's a lot of young soldiers. So the age and the training age are, are fairly similar to what I was working with the last five years in the collegiate setting. Um, so you're, you're starting with the basics, you know, teaching them those foundational movement patterns, um, you know, and, and part of our, the health and holistic pro fitness program um, you know, our, our job is to really come in there and try to reduce some of those injuries that, you know, everyone was seeing and um, kind of have a little bit more uh, guidance with their PT. Um, and so education is a huge portion of that. 
um, I think a little bit more on this side of things than um, the collegiate side of things. Um, you know, you might be doing some presentations uh, with your unit, individuals, that sort of thing. Um, but as far as like the training goes, I didn't drastically change anything. Really, the only difference is the environment. Um, you know, where my last stop, there's a 7,000 square foot weight room. And here, you know, we're working what's called a uh, beaver fit or a gym in a box um, outdoors. So kind of limited with the equipment. You got some benches, some barbells, some squat racks, kettlebells, bands, sleds. Um, so really being able to kind of think outside the box and piece your, your workouts together for them. Um, fortunately for me, my last two stops, we were kind of limited on equipment. So I'd always had to be creative with my workouts and, and piecing those together. Like, okay, sometimes I'm coming up with a contraption or sometimes I have to just think about how I'm going to structure those workouts to make the flow of things work. Um, and same thing here, just applying that skill set to um, really kind of maximize the, you know, their workout times. So much of what you do also has to be psychological, right? Where you have to kind of coach people up when they're ready to quit. What's like one of your favorite motivation hacks or things that you do to kind of get people to re-engage when they otherwise would probably physically quit? Um, so we do dabble in a little bit of the motivation piece. Um, as part of our program, we have uh, different pillars or different experts, subject matter, subject matter experts. Um, so we have uh, basically a cognitive performance specialist with that deals with the kind of sports psychology piece of things. Um, so <clears throat> we involve them, you know, in part of our training as well. Um, but really kind of the basic stuff that I, I deal with on my end is just asking just questions like, you know, Hey, what, you know, what's your goal? Um, how do you, how do you want to get there? And, you know, are they intrinsically motivated or extrinsically motivated? It's like, well, you know, most people, generally speaking, um, are going to be extrinsically motivated. So whether that be like, hey, I got to be motivated to get a high score on my a ACFT, which is the Army Combat Fitness Test, or, hey, I just want to be in shape to feel good, you know, play with my kids, that sort of thing. Um, just asking them those questions, um, simple questions to get a better understanding of, you know, how to get them going and, and um, kind of go from there. Whereas like the deeper dive stuff, you know, our, our CPS handles that. Where, where do you see yourself may, uh, going from, uh, from here? Is this something where you're going to stay with the army uh, and this particular detail for, for the foreseeable future? Uh, what's, what's your plan? Yeah. Um, you know, after nearly a year under my belt, this is definitely um, the environment that I want to stay in. You know, it's, it's a little bit more rewarding in the sense that, you know, Hey, you're, you're you get to work um, with 
the military, um, on, you know, a personal side of things, there's much more room for that work-life balance, which was pretty, uh, negligent in the, uh, collegiate side of things. Um, so, you know, if, if you're someone that's wanting to get into strength conditioning and think the collegiate side is the side for you, you know, that's definitely going to be a factor to consider down the road. Um, maybe not when you're, you know, 22, 23, fresh out of college, but, you know, once you start creeping into, you know, your thirties and, you know, you want to have family and stuff like that's definitely something to consider. Um, you know, I get to spend a little bit more time with my family and, um, you know, weekends are free too. So that's always a plus. Um, and yeah, I mean, really like for, at least for the next five years, it's definitely something that I want to be doing. And, um, again, another tidbit is, you know, like a teacher, you're, you know, they graduate or excuse me, they retire, um, as a teacher in most cases, right. Um, maybe they become a principal or, or whatnot, but when it comes to strength conditioning, no one retires as a, you know, strength conditioning coach. You're not going to be 60, 65 still out there, you know, coaching teams or, or whatnot. Maybe, it, maybe as a, a football coach, if you're lucky, but when it comes to this particular um, field that it's rare. So, you know, when I decide to hang it up, um, I, I really haven't thought that far out just cause I've, I've been doing this for the last decade. And so it's kind of, you know, it's definitely something that's always in the back of my head, but don't really know what I would do. Maybe go into teaching at, at a university or something if, you know, something pops up, but nothing set in stone. I was like asking uh, like this type of question about like, I always find that people who have, who love their jobs that they always, there's always like a mystery or a puzzle that they solve and it's so rewarding. And I was wondering if there was like a time where you had a suspicion and you tested it out and then it ended up working, right? Like you're like, Hey, I, I thought about that and I did this differently. And then this, this is how it fixed itself. Do you remember like one of your, uh, your more recent or favorite kind of success stories where you saw a problem and you did something different and you noticed that uh, it ended up working out uh, in your, in your training? with your, your clients? Um, so I can't think of an exact, you know, scenario, but this is a little bit more general. So typically what I do, um, at least what I did, excuse me, with, um, the collegiate setting and the teams that I worked with, I would evaluate, um, some of the programs that I pushed out throughout the year, um, as well as pushed out a survey to the athletes and, and sport coach um, and just kind of meet with everyone and be like, hey, how did everything go for you uh, in season, off season? Um, obviously, you know, the, the wins and losses columns is kind of out of my control. Um, really the only thing that's kind of factored in and 
is is the injuries you know what did that look year round like year round um but again we can only control the controllables um and then from there with the feedback that i got and from what i you know felt we did then i the following year following season like okay here's our approach um and then make those changes as needed um rarely was it like anything super drastic but it's like okay you know we're gonna change our warm-ups or we're gonna you know our conditioning is gonna be a little bit different um and maybe our um you know time of day that we train that's a little bit different because that's not always going to be the same year to year um but at least getting that feedback to make the same or to make the changes necessary because you don't want to be doing the same thing year in year out because on our end we know that's you know if you're doing the same thing over and over and over you're probably going to get the same results um and even when you are successful that's you know everything within that recipe so to speak is not always going to be applicable year to year because you may not have the same athletes or same environment or same uh, coaches that you're working with so you know you can take in pieces from that and learn from that and apply it you know to you the following years and seasons but um that's that's kind of the general idea hopefully that you've been doing this for 10 plus years at this point has there been anything from the science side of strength and conditioning that has um changed your approach like has there has been new research where you're like no we're not going to do that anymore is that like is it does it come through technique diet or any other things like what what have been some changes that you've seen um, that have been helpful uh, as, as you've uh, gone on in your career? Um, definitely a couple things and some things that are related to the field, but not necessarily like strength conditioning. That's more on the athletic training side, but it still kind of ties into the rehab process. Um, so on that side of things, um, the old um, RICE uh, acronym, forget it's like rest ice compress elevate uh, i think i got that correct um yeah, that's, that's a little bit out that's a little bit outdated um so you actually research now said hey you know you don't want to uh, ice your injury right away kind of let it heal itself um you know heat shows to be like a, a better um you know stimulus for recovery and then you want to actually you know, to the extent of the injury, you want to be able to try and get some range of motion there. Obviously, if it's like a broken leg or something, that's a little bit different. But if it's like a, you know, a slight tweak in your hamstring or whatnot, it's like, hey, like we can get you going. We don't have to delay this process for weeks on end. Um, as far as, you know, the, the weight room side of things, uh, the good old, you know, squat two times body weight um is starting to research is starting to show that's a little bit outdated in terms of like you know how it correlates to your sprint times um you know 
right now there's there's a hard uh, there's not a hard like number um anecdotally it seems like it's a little bit closer to one and a half 1.6 times body weight but at a certain bar velocity speed so you know if if you're fortunate enough to have uh some of the fancy um vbt technology um equipment in your weight room you can track that um but in most cases most you know programs don't have that um high school private you know collegiate um so it's kind of hard to see but at least we have a general idea of like okay you know that's that shouldn't be a number that we're constantly chasing is it cool is does it help yes um but there's definitely a point of diminishing returns when it comes to the amount of weight you're moving um, in certain exercises in the weight room and how that corresponds to, you know, the field of play. Guillermo, you've been so generous with your time uh, today. And I like ending uh, the interview with uh, the guest to tell current Wildcats, any tips for success? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Biggest thing is, you know, if this is something that you want to do, uh, especially heading into uh, college, you know, get with your current athletic department. If uh, they have any strength and conditioning coaches, get with them, try to do some internships. Um, And if, if you can't do it at your school that you're going to try to do it at the high school level or a private training facility in the local area, um, the more experience that you accumulate throughout your undergraduate career, the better set up for success you are um, in landing either a GA position um, or even an assistant position if, if you're fortunate enough to do that. Um, just continue to read books, um, listen to podcasts, uh, all variety of, of strength conditioning, not just like, you know, one, one coach or two coaches. Um, because that way you're able to be a little bit more well-rounded instead of kind of like, Hey, I'm, I do my programs this way. It's like, you get to learn from various coaches, um, go to conferences if you can, uh, for networking purposes. Um, and then obviously the presentations learn, learn from those. Um, you know, cause I didn't, I probably didn't do as much of that until uh, a little bit later in my career. So I think that I've benefited greatly from that and wished I had done that really at the start of, of my career. Yeah, that's great. That's, I, I love that. Thank you so much. And best of luck. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search We Go Vox. That's We Go V-O-X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at We Go Places Podcast or on Twitter at We Go Places. 